At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombard, the World Messenger, and I'm super excited to have you to introduce another epic guest on Legacy Leader Show. The gentleman that is joining us today is joining us from upstate New York, and he is someone that going to share a powerful journey from Sicily to New York and successes that he acquired over a period of time, not only in his business, but also in life. Uh, and also, of course, through his philanthropic uh, charities and involvement on the large scale that makes positive impact. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Mr. Alexandro Tronco. Hello. How are you, Alessandro? Hello, Isabella. I'm doing really great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, life kind of gets a little bit tricky. We get jet lag, we get travel going on, we get switched from different time zones. But the best part is when we can have a great conversation no matter where we're at. So with that in mind, you are joining us from upstate New York and you've been doing some remarkable work with one of the really very well-recognized uh, companies. Um, Northwestern Mutual. So do you mind share a little bit about how that journey started? Yeah, um, well, why don't I start with where my journey started and how I ended up here at Northwestern. So I was originally born in Sicily and um, that's where all my family originated from. And I had a pretty good childhood um, until about the age of six. And then um, I say I had an amazing, crazy dad. And my amazing, crazy dad kept uh, moving back and forth from Sicily to the United States. And I always mm -hmm. say he was a man caught between two worlds because when he was in America, um, he thought he should have been in Sicily back where he was born. And then when he was in Sicily, he thought the great opportunity was in America. And so he kept going back and forth. Um, and when I was six years old, he came home one day and said, hey, we're moving to America. We had never talked about America. I was only six, so I, I remember it, but not really well. And there was a lot of planning. Like we, we basically, over a weekend, fit everything we could in a suitcase, and we moved to America. And, you know, at age six, you just kind of go along with the flow, right? You don't have a lot of say in what happens. You just go with your parents, bring you. And so we moved to America, and I would say, um, you know, we struggled a little bit. Um, you know, my dad not having a college degree or even a high school degree would just start doing random jobs and he would he would just try to make it. Um, but he but he always struggled. And, and my mom was a stay at home mom, but she worked some out and end jobs. She was, uh, you know, would clean houses for a little bit. She would work in a laundromat, a nursing home, really hard jobs, um, along with taking care of all the kids. Um, and then something crazy happened at age 15. My dad comes home again one day and says, hey, we're moving back to Sicily. Wow. And um, that was hard because now I'm established here. Uh, my friends are here. I know the language and we didn't really want to go back. Um, but again, at 15, you don't really have a choice. 
And so we packed up again, uh, same suitcase, and we went back to Sicily. And uh, that's when the real struggles came because when we got to Sicily, it was me and my, old, my older sister for about a year, my younger sister, um, the school system basically said, hey, um, you, know, you don't know Latin, you don't know Greek. Um, the American school system is really behind. And so we're gonna have to move you back two or three grades if you want to go to school. And um, I would say that was pretty challenging. Now, um, truth be told, I probably would have fit right in with the, with the kids that were a couple of years younger, but I just didn't feel right to, to take that much of a step back in our education. And so we, we basically, did, we didn't go to school. Uh, we decided not to go to school. So me and my sister sort of sat in a room for about eight months and um, we kind of did nothing. And my dad was starting another business and we were pretty miserable. And then my mom did something pretty courageous. She, uh, she went and sold her engagement ring. She came home one day and really without telling my dad said um, she bought two one-way tickets back to America. Myself, I was uh, just, just turned 16 and my older sister that had just turned 17. And she said, hey, can you, can you all call a friend and see if you can stay there for a little bit? So we did. I called a friend of mine and said, hey, can I crash at your place for a little bit? Um, and a couple of days later, we were on a plane back to America. But keep in mind, I was um, 16 years old, no cell phone, no credit card. And this is not an exaggeration. We had $5 to our name. And so we landed at the airport. Uh, we got picked up and I went to live at a, at, a, at a friend's house. And what turned out should have been a, like two or three, four weeks. Uh, turned out to be about a year and a half. And so wow. I was here um, without my parents at a very young age with, with really no money, no, no credit cards um, for a year and a half. And so I went to work. I went to school. I re-enrolled re back in my high school. Uh, they were gracious enough to, to take me back. And honestly, Isabel, I don't know how I got enrolled back in school. I often say maybe I blocked that part of my life out because it was pretty painful. Um, but I learned a lot of good lessons. I learned that you gotta, that you gotta work and you, learn, and you learn that you have to figure it out. And, and you learn that sometimes life isn't easy or isn't fair. And so even though it was definitely the hardest part of my life, um, it was the most beneficial. That's really helped me in the business world. It's really helped me um, in the charitable world, um, you know, all my experiences and my struggles. Mm. What an intense journey for someone to be so quickly adopting to many dramatic changes, because those changes are not only abrupt, but they're so drastic and can be really dramatic, received uh, by a six-year-old and later on as a teenager, right, when all your life you knew, again, got uprooted over again. Um, so when you say that a lot of that really helped you with the journey to be successful and to achieve tremendous results, which we're going to get into uh, shortly, um, do you mind sharing what really was the most pivotal moment? How did you uh, level set everything internally with, with the shift and change you've been exposed to? Because obviously life in Sicily, who never visited Sicily, Sicily is an island. It's a fairly small compared to, uh, you know, and, and, and even just the whole island itself, compared to obviously the United States and cities like New York or, or outskirts of New York, a completely different dynamics. How did you adjust? 
Well, you kind of have to, I mean, you, you have a choice. You either adjust or you don't. And if you don't adjust, it's really bad. And so I figured out really early on in life, um, I used to hear my parents struggle about money and fight about money. And, and I just vowed to myself, I'm never going to be poor. I'm going to do whatever I can to be as wealthy as I can. And it wasn't in a selfish way. It wasn't in a way of like, oh, I want to be wealthy to be wealthy. I wanted to be wealthy because I saw the struggles of being poor. I saw the struggles of my mom paying for food stamps and me being embarrassed. Um, you know, back in the old days, back 30 years ago, food stamps were actually like funny money. Like you actually go to the counter and, and everybody knew you were on food stamps. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, at lunchtime, they gave me a, a food stamp card at school, but I was embarrassed. And so most days I wouldn't eat because I didn't want to go up to the lunch line and have all my friends realize that I was on food stamps. And so I would, I would most days say, I'm not hungry or um, I just, I just wouldn't eat. And so at very early age, I said, I'm not ever going to do that. I'm, not, I'm never going to put myself in a position um, to be poor. And I'm going to do whatever I can in the world to make sure that never happens to me or my family ever again. Um, and then I figured out, which was a real pivotal moment, is if you find a career that you can help people and make money at the same time, if your values are aligned, then you can really take it to another level. And so um, for me, first of all, it was, I don't, I don't ever want to be poor again. Um, I don't want to be embarrassed about being on food stamps. I don't want the handout from anybody. Um, so what am I going to do to change that? And, uh, you know, I know America has a lot of problems like every country, but I still believe um, as an immigrant that America is still the best country in the world. Um, because in Sicily, I couldn't, I don't think I could ever accomplish what I've done in America. And so it's been a really good, amazing blessing to, for those struggles and to end up back in this beautiful country. That is, again, amazing when you have that villain and then tap into the strength to encourage, to go after what you believe it's right. And I, I love also because uh, it's when we talk about poverty, it's very hard um, to overcome something you've never been exposed prior to and, and what it means, uh, our relationship with money, what it means to make money, what it means to build a world, specifically as a first-generation immigrants. And both of us are first-generation immigrants and come from very uh, similar um, uh, backgrounds in terms of, you know, it's like how is life in such a different time and in different world, right? It almost, but also how do you drive um, that financial, emotional uh, literacy and also success? Do you mind sharing how that occurred for you? Yeah, so I graduated, I graduated college um, barely. Um, I wouldn't say, it wasn't that I wasn't a great student. Some, some people miscommunicate this. I just wasn't that interested in what they were teaching me. I didn't see a lot of value. And so I did as much work as I could to get a degree. So it wasn't that I didn't graduate at 4.0 because I wasn't smart enough. I just wasn't interested in the material. Um, and then when I was graduating, I wanted to find a career that my work ethic would be rewarded. That uh, if I was really good at what I did, if I helped a lot of people, um, the company would reward me. And so at Northwestern, that is exactly the way it works. It's all commission-based. So I'm 22 years old. I have no money. I'm bankrupt. And I decide with a college degree to join a career that's all commission-based. And honestly, most people thought I was crazy. There were some other job opportunities that paid a salary, gave you a company car, expense account. And I said, I'm not going to do that because I know 
I can't make the money I want to long-term in that career. And so I picked a career in, in finance, one, because it would reward me for my work ethic. Um, two, it would help me help other people financially. Again, with our struggles financially, no one ever helped us. No one ever called my parents and said, hey, have you thought about doing this? And then three, um, being in a career with finances, I knew I would get my finances in order in order to really provide for myself, my kids, my grandkids, and my great-grandkids. And so at a very early age, um, I knew that I needed to pick a career that my work ethic would be valued and rewarded. And I wanted to learn about finances so I wouldn't make the same mistakes that a lot of people make. And that's how I ended up at, at Northwestern. And obviously you've been with them for quite some time and you've built a tremendous um, branch of, obviously under your leadership, of great uh, teammates that are serving and supporting other uh, with their financial needs. And what would you say that was a major contributor to that success from a leadership standpoint and, and everything that you experience uh, to this date? Yeah, so for, for me, leadership means so many different things. You get a hundred opinions on what leadership really is. For me, it's helping other people get to where they wanna be. And if you surround yourself with people that have a vision, that people that have goals, that people that wanna accomplish something, my job as a leader is to help them get what they want. And in life, if you really help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in the universe and, and in God that they, we do get rewarded. And so the, the reason why we've been able to build such a great team and great advisors is I'm always looking at what can I do to help you? Where do you want to go? Because it really doesn't matter where I want to go. Um, mm -hmm. It matters where, where you want to go. And so the more I help you get to where you want to be, um, the closer I'm going to get to where I want to be. And I never think about money. So as much as I didn't want to be poor, I knew if I just thought about money, it would lead me down the wrong path. And so mm -hmm. I always thought about if I just helped you get to where you want to be, then I could get to where I wanted to be. And together we would win because ultimately my business, if, if I help you get where you want to be, you're helping a lot of clients along the way. And so it's a win, win, win all the way through. Um, and I've always treated people with respect. And, and sometimes, frankly, that's hard to do because as a leader, sometimes you might not get the respect or people think you have a really easy job and they don't really know the struggles that you have. So mutual respect has been really a big part of my leadership style. Um, you know, I don't care if you're the janitor. I don't care if you're the CEO of a major company. Um, I'm going to treat you as a person because we're all the same. Even though we're all a little different, uh, we're all people. And so meeting mm -hmm. people with respect, and it doesn't really matter what social circle you're in, um, you know, and it's all the little things that matter. You know, when, when, I, when I go to the men's room, for whatever reason, people have a hard time like putting their paper towel in the, in the trash container, they always miss. Um, and I pick it up and I put it, put it in the trash and nobody sees me do it. And, but it's like all those little things that people do pay attention to as a leader, um, that's been really, really critical. And so serving others uh, is what, what I do on a, on a pretty consistent basis. I really try to take myself out of that decision. Like what's, what's in your best interest? And as long as we're aligned and as long as you're doing um, that your best interest is to do good by others, uh, I'm going to support you any way that I can.
That's fantastic. And I think a discernment leadership, it's so uh, misportrayed what that is. And it's not about accolades you're going to put out and self-promote, but it's truly that doctrine of mindset on a daily basis that we exude and do, uh, which is uh, very rare, actually. And uh, I just want to say kudos you for doing that. But you extend in that reach beyond, obviously, the enterprise that you build and continue to be building and creating successes not only for talent and teams, but also clients that you serve. But I'm really also curious, uh, you're doing a lot of great things on personal level outside helping others. You have a beautiful family and also efforts that you put in together to help uh, different parts of the world with spirit water. Do you mind sharing that what's the spirit water all about the new company that you launched and also your philanthropic vision and, and, and fundraising for charities that you're doing? Yeah. So I, again, I'm a big believer is that we're, we're meant to give back that um, if, if you've been blessed with a really amazing life, that part of that is that you give back. And you know, the funny thing is, and I know people talk about it. I don't think a lot of people believe it is the more you give, the more you get. And so all the organizations that we're a part of, um, you know, every time I give, every time I give generously, um, somehow it comes back to me tenfold. And so, you know, right now, actually, tonight is a big finale. My wife is running for a Leukemia Lymphoma Society. It's called Visionary of the Year. It used to be called Man and Woman of the Year. And it's basically a 10-week fundraising event um, to cure cancer. My wife is a cancer survivor, um, five years in remission. And, you know, I think we're going to be close to raising a million dollars in 10 weeks. Um, and that's in a pretty small market. Albany, New York is not New York City. Um, and I believe, like, how many lives is that going to save? That money goes to research. And can we save even one person by, by creating this pile of money that goes to research that can cure, that can cure cancer? That's just one example. And so I've always believed um, whether you make a hundred thousand a year, whether you make fifty thousand a year or ten million a year, there has to be a part of you that gives back to the world. Um, and it can be cancer, it can be saving the dolphins if you wanted to save the dolphins, it's really whatever you want to do, whatever speaks to you. So that's that's critical. And I, I believe that we are meant to do that. We are not meant to just keep everything for ourselves and be selfish about it. And um so for me in my journey, I've always been rewarded when, when I do that. Um, you know, the spirit company came, spirit water came from, I stopped drinking about seven months ago. Um, and I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. I didn't have a drinking problem, but you know, I'm in a social world and all of a sudden I'm going out to dinner Thursday night. I'll have a couple of drinks and I go out to dinner Saturday night and I have three more drinks. And all of a sudden I'm like, why am I drinking? Why am I drinking alcohol? And you know, I know, I know the world's not gonna stop drinking alcohol and that's okay. Um, but we've been, we have been um, duped that alcohol is not a poison. Every time we take a drink, we are poisoning our body. And so I wanted to create something that was the most purest thing in the world, which is water. Uh, we were meant to drink water and we were meant to drink natural water. If you look at our bodies, we crave water. Um, but through the years, because of advertising, because of sugar addictions, um, people want to drink other things, whether it's whether it's soda, whether it's alcohol. Um, so I said, I'm going to create something really pure. I'm going to call it spirit water to really get back to the foundation of what when we were created, 
Um, water is what we were meant to drink. And I think messaging and I think words matter. And so this company is going to be all about positive messaging, the can, or that's going to be in aluminum. Um, a lot of people, most of water today is in, in um, plastic. Plastic, most of plastic ends up um, in landfills. It does not get recycled, which I didn't know that. And so putting water in aluminum um, is going to come a long way in, in helping save our planet. So it's going to be, if you, go to the, if you go to the website, you'll see the design of the water. But when you carry the can, it's a beautiful, like uplifting picture as you're carrying this, this natural water. And then because it's aluminum, you can do whatever you want with the can. You can refill it with your own water. So you don't have to keep buying water if you wanted to. Um, you can make a candle out of the can. You can put, make it into a little flower pot. So we're going to have fun with the design, but the messaging. Um, we, we live in a world where I think we take words for granted and there's a lot of things out there that just aren't labeled very well. And so, you know, the name Spirit Water, just want people to like feel some calmness and love in the world uh, when they look at the can, when they're drinking the can, and maybe take a minute to reflect on um, how beautiful life is and how beautiful nature is. And when you're drinking this water, like it does come, it does come from nature. Um, we're going to give 10% of the proceeds away every single year, starting in day one. Um, again, as, as part of the company to give back to organizations that have similar values as, as, as we do. Um, and I think this world needs a little less alcohol in it. Um, I don't know about you, Isabel, but every time I drank the next day, I, I've never said, well, that was a really great decision I made um, when I had all those drinks. Or you know, I feel really amazing after a long night of drinking. Um, and, and I'm not, I'm not a fool. I know people aren't going to totally stop drinking, but maybe you can just pause for a minute and say, why am I drinking? It is poison. Um, and maybe I can drink a little bit more water to make my soul feel a little bit better. Mm. Seems like you are thinking, um, and solving a lot of things with one great opportunity, which I love, uh, rethinking how can be more sustainable, how can be more, uh, ESG friendly, but in the same time, how can encourage people to consume what really nurture us and nourish us in the best possible way. Um, and obviously paying attention to our health and also our habits. Um, I can't agree more that we obviously have to pay attention. And I just want to also say that I'm really thrilled to hear about what your wife is doing in terms of fundraising and efforts that you guys are putting together, uh, because we also see a lot of illnesses and definitely a lot of cancers. Um, unfortunately, I'm being exposed to quite a bit of that with myself and my family. So just having the drive to do that, it's huge. And also helping others to make better choices and decisions um, to continue to preserve longevity, right? It's a great when we're healthy, but how now you keep that health for, you know, decades to come so that we can enjoy quality of life. So again, kudos. Um, but I'm curious with everything you obviously been doing so far, um, what would you say, what is the next in a bucket list for you and your yeah. five to do? So I'm um, actually coming out of the book in August. It's already written. Um, it's being published as we speak. It'll come out in August. Uh, the book is called The Buddha Who Drove a Bentley. Um, and it's a, it's a fable, but you'll, you'll find out very quickly. It's really about my life and kind of my journey. 
Um, and you know, and for a, for a long time, Isabella, I had all the things in life that people would want: uh, nice cars, nice house, beautiful family. But along the way, I, I lost my soul. And um, there was times where I was doing things that just didn't make a lot of sense. They weren't congruent with my values. And, and so I had this really big discovery and every chapter kind of teaches you a lesson um, about love and forgiveness, um, you know, enjoying the outdoors, um, being truthful, like all these things. And, and the reason the title is the Buddha who drove a Bentley is, you know, God wants us to have the, all the most beautiful things in the world. Uh, we're not meant to be on this planet to be poor. We're not meant to be on this planet to struggle all the time. Um, the issue though is with most people, including myself in the past, you would chase all these material things, but then you would realize that along the way you lost who you were and you lost your soul. And so the next watch that you bought, you were made you happy for about a minute. And then the next day you were like, wow, that's meaningless. And the next car you bought, um, again, felt good come driving out of the showroom. And then two weeks later, you were like, well, I'm not any happier today. And so the book is about, yes, you can have all those things. And, but at the same time, you have to have your soul intact along the way. Because if you don't, no matter what you have, all the material things that you have will never bring you joy and happiness. And you'll always feel like God, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And so um, the book is really a beautiful uh, fable. It's got a really um, amazing beginning and a, and a twist at the end, which I won't uh, ruin the twist at the end, but we can have all the amazing things, but we have to do the right things along the way. And, you know, taking care of your family and being a good person and, and loving everything, um, you know, in this world, we seem to be more divided today than ever. And if you have a different viewpoint, um, I can't like you. I can't associate with you. Um, you know, a lot of people use the word hate. And that's not what life is about. Uh, you know, life is about love. Um, everything else uh, doesn't really matter. If we can love all things and all, all people, um, we'd, have a, we'd have a much more cohesive world. And so the book talks about that. Like, what does that really mean? Um, you know, why do we choose to hate things? Why do we choose to hate people? Why do we choose to be so divided um, when we're all the same? We're all cut from the same cloth. And so that's what the book brings you on that, on that journey. So that's coming out in August. I'm uh, really excited. It's my first book. Um, I plan on writing many more uh, books, but that is my, my first one. And I'm super excited about it. That is amazing. I cannot wait to read it because um, it's beautiful when we reflect and take a time to think about it. What was crucial on our journey to success? And then also share that in a beautiful story um, so that others can benefit and learn uh, and, and change and transform their life, right? Because as you mentioned, it's a huge opportunity for us to rethink um, what we're seeing around us, uh, what we're observing, what how we're living, and opportunities to um, know more and do better. But I'm curious, you began the story sharing about how your mom sacrificed and sold her ring in order to send you and your sister back to the United States after she realized obviously what happened to both of you uh, in terms of coming back in, in Sicily and trying to uh, start education again. 
um, what happened after that? How, how, what happened with your dad and, and, and choices and, uh, and decisions and what happens just from standpoint of, of this journey as, as a family unit? Yeah, so I would say it had a, um, had a pretty good ending. Um, about a year and a half later, my parents came back to America uh, with my younger sister. And um, my dad had built up a little business there, so he had some money. So I, I think the exact amount was he had $25,000 that he came back to America with. Um, we all moved in together a few months later. Um, unfortunately, my dad then started uh, like a little Italian deli with the 25000 he had. And about a year later, that went bankrupt. And so mm -hmm. he, was, he was back to square one um on having no money and so mm -hmm. the struggles began again and um my dad was really smart my dad was really articulate um he just couldn't ever like put the puzzle pieces together i think we all have the talent to do whatever we want the trick is can i put the puzzle pieces together so i can really excel and my dad had all the pieces he just couldn't ever put them together and so um you know, we lived uh, to his mid eighties, always really good health, but always really bankrupt and always with lots of regrets. And so, uh, you know, one of my driving forces to be successful, I mentioned I didn't want to be poor, but my parents had never owned a home. And so as a young advisors, my, my, one of my very first goals was I want to buy my parents a home that they mm -hmm. can consider. Them. Um, and within five years, I did that. You know, I bought them their, their first home. It was a little modest home, um, 10 minutes from where I lived. Um, and it was really one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to do that. And so, you know, we were all back reunited. Um, my mom's still alive today. She's a really strong woman. She, she made a lot of sacrifices for our family. Um, she also never really went past the third grade. Um, so no education, but she always took really good care of us. You know, she always uh, made sure we had clean clothes. They might not have been new, but they were always clean. She always uh, cooked for us and took care of us. Um, but there was a lot of benefits of being an immigrant. Like when you get a bad grade in school, your parents don't really know. Um, you know, they, they're like, hey, what is this F for? And I'm like, mom, F is fantastic. And she's like, okay. or, or I'm like, mom, I need you to sign this piece of paper, you know, that I got in detention for three days. And she's like, what is it? I'm like, I don't know, mom. And she would just sign it. So it's not all bad being like um, in an immigrant family that doesn't know very good English. Um, you can get away with a lot. And we did. <laughs> That's a great uh, flip side of the story and showing also, um, obviously, you're right. Uh, sometimes children become a more uh, adults because of language or education and also because of the environments that are exposed to. But it's just great to see and hear um, how we were able to bless your immediate family, your parents in a ways. And, and also you brought up a really great point, uh, which is even though we have a lot of skills, but if we don't know how to put pieces of puzzle together to have a successful business, uh, we might always struggle. So mm. with that in mind, do you mind elaborating a little bit more for an audience that is watching and listening? Because I find this as ongoing struggle for so many mm. and also as a huge opportunity because 
millions of books are being sold, millions of blueprints are being shared, but I always felt like certain pieces were never included, mm. what that takes in that ratio, and how did you discover that, and how did you uh, hone that uh, so that you could replicate uh, and, and succeed in any other venture you've been exposed to? Yeah, so uh, a lot of things come to mind, because you're right, and I've read a lot of these books, and I'm like, uh, God, I don't I don't really know where they're going with that. Um, so a couple of things. I think the, the the big lie is, well, find something you're passionate about. Well, if I'm a 20-year-old kid, I'm probably passionate about sports, and I'm never going to be a professional basketball player. Um, was I passionate about the investment industry when I got here? No. Um, but I knew it was a good industry. I knew that I could learn something. I knew that I could... Um, you know, help a lot of people. You know what I got passionate about it when I became good. And how do you become good? And I tell my daughters this all the time. So my first thing is, um, you find something that you think you can do, but it doesn't have to be like, oh, this is my passion. As a 21-year-old, who really knows that? And your passion might be just like something that you can't really make any money at it. Um, so find something. And then you have to do the work every day. You have to practice your craft every single day. And you want to be good at something, you have to do it over and over and over again. There's no secret. It's like you have to do the work. And so, mm -hmm. you know, in our business, you have to make lots of phone calls. Well, how do you get good at making phone calls? You make lots of phone calls. And you make those phone calls not when you feel like it. You make them every day because that's part of the deal. Like if you just do things when you feel like it, you're going to have a long life. and It's not going to be very pretty. And so first is, Keep practicing what you want to be good at. Um, whatever, whatever it is, you want to be good at playing the piano. Well, you better start practicing. Um, the other thing that I, that I've always tried to do is follow up and follow through. The world is missing this. I can't tell you how many times I say somebody says to me, "I'll call you tomorrow," and they don't call you tomorrow, or they'll say, "I'll get you that quote next week," and next week comes and goes, and I don't get that quote. So you want to separate yourself from the rest of the world, follow up, follow through, do what you say you're going to do. I promise you, if you do those things alone, people will notice because it's very rare in our world today. Um, if you want to add a little something to that, write a thank you card. Like actually take the time to write the card out, not an email that says, hey, thanks for the meeting. Take the time to write a thank you card to people that are, um, you know, helping you in some way or that you just met. And those are really simple things. Uh, and I compare it always to, to working out and eating right. Listen, the, the, that, that industry is billions and billions of dollars. And it's yes. ridiculous because we all know what we need to do. Get up early, do a workout for an hour. You can figure, you can go on, you can go on chat GPT and they'll give you all the workout that you need for free. Um, then you, you have to drink lots of water and you have to eat non-processed foods. Like that is the playbook. But what happens? We don't do it. You know, the alarm goes off at 5.30 in the morning and you're like, oh, I think I'll just sleep for another hour. You walk into the office and somebody brought in donuts for the day. Like, oh, I just had two donuts today. And so life isn't about like, people know what to do for the most part, Isabella. It's hard to do it. And so now you get into a pattern of eating donuts three days a week. Now you get to a pattern of drinking soda seven days a week. And so that pattern becomes what you do. Um, 
And business is no different. Like most of us know what we need to do, but we don't want to do the work. And we think there's a shortcut. And so for me, it's really simple. Find what you want to do and do it over and over and over. And if you're lucky enough, you can get a mentor. You can get somebody that's already doing it incredibly in your industry. And you say, can you help me? I find most people will help us. I find there's a lot of good people in the world. And if you ask for help, they will help you. Um, but you better do it every day because if you don't, you're going to, it's like compounding of interest over a long period yeah. of time, all things become really amazing things. Well, that works for good and bad. You know, you, you, you have bad habits on eating and working out for a decade. And we all see this, right? You go to your high school reunion after 20 years and you're like, oh, what happened to you? <laughs> now we don't say that. <laughs> We don't say that because we're polite, but we're like, wow, how did, how did that happen in a short, even a short 10 years? And so um, we know what we need to do. We just have to do it consistently. And here's the, here's the, I guess, maybe the secret. After a while, it becomes fun. After a while, getting up early before the sun comes up becomes fun. You look forward to that. After a while, working out becomes fun. But in the first month, two months, three months, it's not that much fun. It's hard. And so in the, in the business world, it's like, it's so, and I think it's easier today than it's ever been. I think um, be, technology is really amazing, but it's losing some of that human connection. Um, I think people aren't used to following up and following through. So I think it's easier today in the leadership and in the business world to get noticed and separate yourself from the pack. I think it's becoming I easier. I love that advice and it's actually such a beautiful reminder again how these decisions and compounding results of consistent, repetitive, um, things that matter the most that we take care of first uh, create tremendous success. So I'm curious, obviously you carved amazing legacy uh, through your leadership. You live and lead with your uh, legacy, obviously. And, and I'm curious how... Oh, you mentioned something earlier also for generations to come, specifically your family or kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. But ultimately, what would you like to be known and remembered by? Uh, that I was a good person, that I helped a lot of people. And although I wasn't perfect, part of my book is that I made mistakes. And, um, you know, sometimes I listen to these podcasts and everybody seems to be pretty perfect. Uh, I'm not perfect. And I made a lot of mistakes. But ultimately... I like my grandkids to say, hey, my, my grandfather was a really great guy. He helped a lot of people. Um, he did a lot of good for the community, but he was also human and he made a lot of mistakes. And, and we love him for being authentic about that and not trying to hide that he made a lot of mistakes. Um, but ultimately, you know, I was talking to my wife about it the other day. She, I was like, I just want to be remembered uh, for being a really good person and helping people. Mm -hmm. And um, and, and making mistakes. I, mean, I want to be remembered. Hey, you also made these mistakes. But uh, a wise friend of mine told me it's not how you start, it's how you end. And so you can make mistakes along the way, but are you learning from them? Um, are you sorry about the mistakes? Are you asking for forgiveness? And more importantly, probably the most important thing, are you forgiving yourself? Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, Leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. 
Cheers.